Jeff Smith and welcome to the secrets of success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question, and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes that big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people, famous people and many millionaires to find out their secrets of success and I want to share their secrets here with you. Of course, success is not always measured in money and in these programs, I'm looking at many different success stories from people in all walks of life. I want to find out what makes them tick, how they overcame adversity to keep on going when times got tough and I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom so that you too can implement the secrets of success into your own life. In this episode, I'm talking with Sarah Schulting Krenz. Sarah is a business owner, a mountain and ocean adventurer, an artist and a former teacher. She's become a resilient person who survived and thrived from multiple traumas, now finding herself in a space where she says she's meant to be. I love that sentiment. Thank you. Nine years ago, she was at the lowest points of her life, suffering from betrayal trauma and complex PTSD. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically unraveling, she thought she could either lose her life We'll find a new one. Thankfully for us, she chose the latter. She navigated through her anger, pain and grief by hiking 14-foot mountains and paddling four miles out to sea to be with whales and dolphins. That must have been amazing. But during this time, she healed her heart, mind and body through nature while practicing the art of resilience and forgiveness. The gift of her trauma was finding her most important relationship of all, the one with herself. Her trauma became her purpose so she can help others to embrace their resiliency. Using those experiences and undertaking her purpose, she became a keynote speaker, an author, a TEDx speaker, a retreat organizer and facilitator for transformational experiences. This is going to be an interview where you will not believe some of the things that have happened to Sarah, the depths of despair that she fell into, and then rising to the heights of forgiveness, which has led to her amazing success. So let's bring in this truly amazing woman and find out more. Welcome to the show, Sarah Schulting Kranz. Thank you for having me on. Hey, Sarah. Hello. You're looking I'm amazing. doing wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Good stuff. <laughs> so where in the world are you today? I am just south of LA. I am in Hermosa Beach next to the ocean that 
I go on to paddle with whales and dolphins and uh, by the mountains where I go climb. So, yes, that's where I am. I've been in the ocean there. It looks gorgeous, but it's freezing, right? It's so cold. Yeah, it is. Well, I can't so I can't wait to find out about your book, your amazing outdoors adventures, and of course, especially your encounters with whales and dolphins. But before we do that, I want to find out more about you, Sarah. So three easy questions to get us going. Where were you born? What was life like for you as a child? And what were your dreams and aspirations as you were growing up? Gosh, I was just working on something today, this morning. And this is what I was writing about, actually. So the timing is perfect. So I was... I was born and raised in a very small village of about 1,200 people called Black Earth, Wisconsin. Uh, My village uh, that I grew up in is surrounded by cornfields, has a creek next to it. My high school was in between two towns. I graduated with, I don't know, maybe 56 people. And everybody seems to think I am this like huge athlete, and I always have been. Not true. They actually called upon people to fill teams, and that's how I got into doing the sports that I did. I have two brothers. Uh, One is a year older than me. One is two years older than me. They were very influential in my life. My parents, amazing family. My mom is the one that actually uh, was a, I would say, the beautiful foundation of teaching me what it is to be resilient. Uh, I learned a lot from her. She just passed away in July. And uh, my father is just an amazing man himself. Uh, I you know, it's interesting. You you ask about what were my dreams and my aspirations. And, you know, back then I, I just wanted simplicity in my life. I think because I was born into simplicity, uh, I wasn't uh, born into that space of, you know, where everything was so grand, like LA. And I just wanted to be a mom. I wanted to, you know, take care of, I want to be a mom someday. That said, through my traumas, I actually had a moment when I was 17, which we'll discuss, where I was driving down the road and I remember having, I call it like a Godwink moment or a moment from above. And it was everything that you are living through right now is not for nothing. You will uh, be heard someday. You will be understood someday. You will be teaching someday through these things that you have lived through and you will write a book. And I was 17 years old and it took me until I was 40 to have my second round of traumas hit where I finally understood that everything in my life, even from uh, being a young girl sitting in cornfields, watching butterflies or watching snowflakes fall from the sky in a village where, you know, it was just awe and wonder. I realized that all of those moments were leading me to this journey that I am now on because I don't believe that we're here for the destination. I think that we are here for the moments of living that are within the journey that then lead us someday to our destination. And it's how we choose to close the story this of our life, right? When we take our last breath, it's, it's about that last breath and looking back on ourselves and saying, did I do good for the reason that I was here? Oh, right. I, and so I, I'm always I, in service. Yeah. I relate to that so much. My wife said to me a couple of weeks ago, Jeff, I think it's time for you to retire. Hmm. <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Because You're welcome. <laughs> because, I don't know about that, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say you're doing a good job. <laughs> so I said, you know, I'm going to go into my grave sideways, like on a motorcycle, you know. 
can't crash in there. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So so I'm going to carry on. Now, what's fascinating about what you just said, you had a God wink, as you call it. Mm -hmm. Some people call it an epiphany. I've had three myself. What's fascinating? Well, I won't tell my story. I want to hear yours. So you had that message. So talk me through what actually happened and how was this message delivered to you? I speak when I am speaking and I'm actually working on a new uh, engagement right now. And I go back to, and I'm going to, I'm going to weave this in if you don't mind. When I was 10 years old, I was standing underneath a street lamp and you know how you have those epiphanies when you're a child that you just look at like, oh, that was just a child moment, right? All of those child moments that we have lead us into our adulthood. The problem is that with adults, we lose that childlike sense, that sense of play, wonder, and awe, which we actually need in order to work through the difficulties in our life, those setbacks. And that's how we find our strength. We go back to the finding our strength through really diving into risk and trying new things, right? And experiencing failures. So when I was 10 years old, I was standing underneath the street lamp and I remember looking up and I was the only one literally at this four-way intersection in the middle of night. And I lived in a small town, so there was safety was no problem. And I was watching these snowflakes fall from the sky. And I remember thinking to myself, there, this is so peaceful. There is no one around. And I wonder what other people in the world are doing right now. And I weave that into my, into my life, right? Because you never know what another human is going through until you have the conversation. So when I was 17, uh, I experienced my first trauma when I was raped by somebody that I knew. And I went to the police and the police didn't believe my story. I was sitting in the police station office with all of these men that were questioning me instead of questioning the person that did this to me. And I found out that I was pregnant through this experience and I made a lot of tough decisions at 17 years old. I, and they were all my decisions, all my choices. Uh, my family supported me. I decided to have my son and I decided to raise my son and I decided to go to college and I went to the four year, went to UW-Madison and I worked my way through that trauma with one goal in mind, and that was to do what was best for me and get to know myself a little bit more deeply through this experience, but also to, I don't know if it was to prove to myself or to prove to others or what it was, but it was more so understanding what it was to be resilient at a young age, right? And so learning, I mean, I had a lot of people questioning me. I remember going in. Uh, signing up for my classes and even my registrar office back then, by the way, you didn't do it on a computer. There was no such thing. It was, you walked into the room and you said, I want to take these classes. And here I am pregnant. And the registrar's office looked at me and said, you shouldn't be going to school full time. You should be taking some time off. And so through all of the people that questioned me along the way, it was a little bit more of a foundation for my own resilient self of learning and and doing what I knew was what was right. Like I just had one path and that path was I'm going to go to college and I want to become a teacher and I want to, I'm going to land on my feet. Right. And so that journey through that first set of resiliency set me up for every other time in my life where I needed to also find resiliency within myself, that personal leadership, as I call it. 
the person that walked me through this was my mom. And I'm going to get a little emotional through this. I know it because I literally just lost her in July. She was my best friend. My mom was the person that held me up when I was starting to fall. When I would lean, she would prop me up and say, hey, just keep walking, right? And so it was through that small village that I talk about where I learned so much about myself that she would walk me down Main Street and she would say, hold your head high. People may not believe you today, but they will someday. And it doesn't matter what they believe because it's about your story and it's about what you know to be true. And I learned so much through that 17-year-old girl. And, uh, and, you know, and it's really interesting because we always look at those things in our life that we've gone through. And so many people like to compartmentalize them and put them in a box and set them on a shelf and say, you know what? It happened and just move on. But the important thing that I learned through all of this is to open the box, to heal from it, to use it to become a better you today. And if we're not going to do that, we are really dismissing ourselves. We're dismissing those things that we have walked through. And forgiveness plays a huge part in that, right? And that's that's um, that's where it all started. It all started walking down that main street with my mom and having to really pick myself back up over and over and over again and say, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to become. So you're walking down Main Street with your mom. Was this after you were raped and you were pregnant? It was. Uh, it was after I was raped. It was after I was pregnant. I was pregnant walking down the street. I was a senior in high school. And, um, and you know, I had to get a restraining order against this person. And uh, I found out through a process that he had tried it again. I then had to hold that anger, I guess it was like, I had to really work through that anger of if somebody would have listened to me, this wouldn't have happened to somebody else. And I don't even know who else it happened to besides that one person that I know of. And, you know, it was, it's just an interesting space to be in when you're speaking and nobody's listening to you. And so that's why when people speak to me today, I listen, I stop, I take a moment with them, I'm present with them and I listen and I hold their story. And I say, you know what? You matter. You're worthy of me sitting here with you. Everybody listening to this is worthy of being held, of being heard, of being seen, of being felt. And I think that through so many, there's so many reasons, right? Like technology, social media, all of the things that we sent, we're for some reason losing connection with what is so important in this world. And that is human to human space. I could not agree more. And one quote, one of my favorite quotes is this, wherever you are, be there. Mm -hmm. And that, that's essentially what we're saying there. And if someone is talking, it's your duty to listen and to pay attention properly, paying respect to each other. Yep. So I want, I want to rewind and take you back, if I may. You had this God wink, as you call it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Was this prior to the rape or after the rape? No, it was afterwards. I, uh, I lost a lot of friends through that experience. I want, I, here's the thing. I lost them for a moment. Since then, 
most everyone has come back and said, I'm sorry. The, the experience, you mean the rape? Yes. Yes. For not being there or for not listening to me or for not, for not understanding. And the beauty of me sharing my story is that it's also given other people the opportunity to step into releasing whatever it was that they were holding on to. Right. I mean, I understand this is a small town. It's 1200 people back then. I think now we have 1300. I don't even know, but there wasn't even a stoplight back then. We have one now, you know? And so it's very, very like we were all family. Uh, and, and, and so I didn't have that Godwink epiphany, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, until I was in college and I was driving home one day. And, and, and at that point, my parents, they were so wonderful. I stayed home with them. We raised the, you know, this beautiful uh, child together and uh, he's just a wonderful, wonderful young man. And, uh, and I still went to college, right? I went to the university. I, was carrying it's funny about this is that here this woman says to me you should be taking time off and i was like heck no i'm carrying more than a full load like i i have a five-year plan that i needed to get done in four years tell me that i'm supposed to do it your way i'm doing it my way like it's all about i'm doing it my way because i know that it's going to work and so I also was working full, not full-time. I was working part-time as a waitress, hostess, you know, uh, also providing and still going to college. And, uh, and it was tough. It was a really tough time. It was hard. And I was driving home from the university one day back to my small village. And I, I remember where I was at the intersection. And I just had this thought of like, I'm tired. I'm just tired and I'm tired of people not knowing and I'm tired of people not understanding and how many other people are going through something similar or how many other people are going to be going through something similar. And that's when I had my moment of literally, it was like, I'll call it. And I've had several of these in my life that I now share with people on. It was a intuitive hit. It was a, you know, Godwink moment. I literally heard the words in my head, just keep going your story matters and someday it will be told and people will listen and it's going to help people. So don't stop. Just keep walking. Don't stop. And I remember thinking to myself, a book, I'm going to write a book. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm an art teacher. I'm studying to be an art teacher at the time. You want me to draw anything, paint anything, create anything with my hands. I'm amazing at that, but writing and, um, And it didn't happen for a long time. And I remember when I, you know, after I married my husband and had two more sons, I remember thinking to myself and I was, I was teaching art. And then I was, you know, my, we moved into California to follow my husband's dreams of, uh, in, within his business. And I remember thinking to myself all my life, like what happened to that? What happened to that? God, I would have little moments of going back to it. What happened to that? And I mean, I remember sitting on a bed one time in a hotel room with my best friends, my best girlfriends thinking, I'm not doing enough. I don't know why I'm not doing more. I don't know what, like there's, there's more, there's more. And I don't know why I can't find it. And I kept thinking to myself and telling them, I mean, I remember when I was 17 and I thought I'm going to write a book someday. And they're like, well, then write the damn book. And I'm like, I don't know what it's about. I can't even (laughs) figure out what it's about. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. And then it wasn't until my second round of traumas and that it all made sense. It all came full circle. And I was like, Oh, that's what that was. Well, shoot. Now I got to write the book. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, we'll come on to that second round of traumas, which is, 
probably worse than the first. I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. But going back to this epiphany, you had the voice. Whose voice was it? That's a very good question. Uh, I don't know how much of a spiritual human that you are, and it doesn't matter because this is my experience. There were, I've had many spiritual moments, many spiritual experiences, and I have had them in nature. I have had them with whales. I have had them with dolphins. I have had them with the sky. I have had, I have had so many. And I just don't feel like we talk about them enough. Uh, there was one, I was born and raised a Catholic. And I remember being in church one day and I was, I could tell you where I was sitting front, probably about four or five pews back on the right-hand side, which we never sat there as a family. We always sat on the left and it was the front row. And I was pregnant at the time and I was really having a hard time during that pregnancy. And I was, I was, you know, feeling like just, again, nobody's listening. I'm alone. I'm ostracized. I'm the woman with the big scarlet letter. And I call it the arms of God or the arms of spirit, the arms of an angel, the arms of something wrapped around me. And it was as if it was as if it was literally happening, Jeff. There, there are no explanations. And I remember having that moment and, and it was a, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. And so when this happened, I remember thinking to myself, I was literally looking around in church going, what is that? Is that like, am I feeling like there's nobody hugging me? What is that? And I explained it to my mom. And even she was like, I don't know, Sarah, you know, and my mom's a very, she was, she still is God lover, a very spiritual human uh, angel now. And, uh, and when I was going down the road, I don't know whose voice it is. All I can tell you is that I believe that we are vessels from other spaces and times. If it's, you believe in heaven, if you believe in universe, if you believe in whatever it is, I truly believe through my own experiences that we are nothing more than a vessel to help others. And so maybe it was my intuition speaking. Maybe it was the voice from somebody who has passed. Maybe it was an angel. Maybe, I don't know. All I know is that it was so clear, the vision, that words were so clear that it was like I had to listen to them. I, I get it completely. Um, to answer your question, I'm extremely spiritual myself. And the reason I'm asking about this is because very similar things have also happened to me. Mm. And and have literally saved my life on two occasions. Literally saved my life. And my body moved. And ah, just incredible things. Things that I would not have normally done. And these epiphanies, as you say. So but that's a subject for another time and another show, yeah. of course. So I'm interested to know even more about your epiphany, especially with the whales and dolphins, because I mm. also love nature, which we'll get onto that. However, we've spoken about the rape. Mm -hmm. So what was it like then being in a small village where pretty much no one believed you? What was going on in your life and how did you handle it? I know you had wonderful parents and you're blessed uh, without them. Heaven knows, but a 17-year-old girl, pregnant, no one believes you. You're in a small town. What, what's going on for you? I can't imagine. You know, I, 
I did isolate myself because I felt that hiding was better than being questioned. Because when you're questioned in a room where your mother's sitting there, yet you have all these people around you not believing you, and they're the police that are supposed to protect you, you learn very quickly that the person that really needs to become more protective of you is yourself. And you start to rely on yourself and you start to realize that if nobody else is going to be there, at least you can be there for you. And I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to live. (laughs) In fact, I know it's not. Uh, And yet that was what happened. There was uh, one other thing, my, my art teacher at the time I was in high school and he handed me the key to the art room. And he said, anytime that you need this, this is going to be some of your therapy. You go take care of you. This room is yours at all times. And so I spent a lot of time in that art room, just creating, creating my life, creating my thoughts, creating my realizations creating what here I am then going into as an art teacher, uh, creating story, creating like my life story uh, and realizing also like, isn't that what business is? It's all creation. Like if you're not going to step into your creativity, then what the hell do you have? Right. And so it was, I remember even just being in there during lunchtime and the lunch ladies would come in and they'd say, you got to eat. Like, this is literally how small this school (laughs) is. Right. And we saved you some food, Sarah. We noticed you didn't go through the line uh, and they would just literally bring it to me. And it just became my space. That became my, my art became my support. And so that's what happened. And it was lonely. Uh, That said, I also did have some really close friends that I'm still dear friends with today that also were there for me. Uh, And it, it, it was a real, it was a strange time. It was just a real strange time. It would never happen today. I don't believe, I don't want to say never. I'm sure it has happened to some people today. Uh, that said, um, I really developed that relationship with myself back then. Okay. What about your art at that time? What were you creating? How did your art mm. manifest? So you want to hear a really wild story? Yeah, go. Yeah. Here's a really wild story. Back in 1990, I drew this amazing picture and it was of two hands praying and there was a baby over the hands and it is now hanging in my house, 1990. So all of this happened in 1991. Was it foreshadowing? I have no idea. So this, this, this piece of art that you're talking about was before the rape? was before and it was this beautiful beautiful drawing of and it was a pencil drawing uh pencil drawing was always my thing and um and it's so it's just this beautiful vision of this little child this little baby uh sitting over the hands right of this praying human and then in 1991 i draw drew this beautiful in again pencil drawing i think it was during that time that i actually drew it uh of hands, which I didn't even realize looked like now my grandmother's, my mother's uh, aging hands, holding a rosary and praying. And now I have the both of them hanging up and it wasn't until, I don't know, because I put all my art away for a long time. I just 
shoved it. It was kind of like, I don't know, that was like the past, right? And mm-hmm. I was yeah. stepping into new things and and I brought those out recently uh, when I moved and I looked at them and I thought, wow, like, isn't it interesting how so much of our life is foreshadowing into that next space and we don't even realize it until we look back and we go, oh, that's what that was about. I was being prepared all along. I just didn't see it. Amazing. So then the rape happened. You went into the art studio. It was yours. Mm-hmm. What was your art like at that time? Very personal. It became very personal. It became uh, my space to focus on something other than what's happening in my life. When I was in college, I would take my, you know, we'd have these art assignments and I would go out into the wilderness, into the back country, the hills around where I lived. And I would, that would be my subject matter that I would draw. And then I would bring it back into the art room and hang it up for everybody to look at. And it was, it was a space for me to really focus in awe and wonder in a different kind of way. I just didn't even realize it. Nature is one of the most underutilized and healing tools that we can access. And it wasn't until I started guiding people right through wilderness retreats. I wrote my book. I healed myself through nature that I look back and I was, oh, that's what all of that was doing. It was literally slowing the frontal lobe of my brain. It was allowing creativity to rise. I was seeing life in a different way. My perspective was was shifted. I wasn't sitting in my traumas. I was, even back then, I was creating a new alive story moment out of what had happened to me. But it was always personal. It always came back to what was important to me and how can through this art, this way of, of creating, is it not only helping me, but ultimately helping others? Wonderful. I like that. I love the arts because they're so expressive. I used to be a musician. Mm. And yeah. And I can really relate to what you're saying now because it doesn't matter what happens in your life. It doesn't matter what mood you're in. It doesn't matter what happened today. For me as a musician... There was always a way to express myself. There was always music to play to suit. And I can't draw. I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. But I would imagine it's the same thing with art, right? It's it's a way of releasing and expressing. So I look at it as once a musician, always a musician. And even the conversation that we're having right now is a form of it's a, it's a music. Like this is, you're creating music that other people are listening to. It's just, it's just like, I'm creating art with you, right? It's a, it's a form of expression that other people can connect to. And I think that through vulnerability, authenticity, like think about songwriting, think about art. You cannot create anything good without being vulnerable and authentic with your voice or with yourself. People won't connect to it. And that's what we have lost so much of in this world is, I think that's actually, I think that some, I think in some form it, people are, are coming back to it. They're understanding the, the need for it through it, through, you know, Brene Brown talking about it, uh, thought leaders talking about it. Uh, but I think it's also something that if we're not going to get true and honest with who we are and authentic with who we are and be vulnerable with others and share in a way that others can connect with us, 
how do we how do we create? How do we how do we make a better world? How do we serve? Right. And so even through this conversation, I think that we're creating art that others can relate to, that they can step into, that they, that they can feel connected with. Amazing. Talking about being connected. I mean, I've been on a journey for quite a while now. And it started off by asking, well, who am I? What's my purpose? What am I mm. here for? Who is my true self? What is it that I'm here to do? What is it that makes me happy? And it's taken a long time for me to reach that point. And uh, strange things happen. But what happened, I've started connecting with people who I never, ever would have connected before. Never. Right. And, and by being open and sharing it makes such a difference, such a difference. Like I have no problem in crying. I I, I was crying early when you were talking about mom. I, I saw I, that, I, yeah. I joined with you, you know, and it's it's just wonderful to connect. Anyway, enough about me. So <laughs> we've talked about your experiences, your wonderful parents. They've been a blessing. You were raped and pro People are thinking, oh my goodness, that's enough for anyone in a hundred lifetimes to deal with. But it doesn't end there, does it, Sarah? No, so, <laughs> it certainly does not. <laughs> it certainly okay. does not, Jeff. So you become a teacher, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get married. I, I'll just hand this over to you. You know, I, when people hear my story, the one thing I hope is that they find something in it that they can relate to. Now, most people cannot relate, thankfully, to the big things that have happened in my life. That said, they can relate to judgment. They can relate to people questioning them. They can relate to people looking at them and saying, how are you going to do that? What makes you so special? right? They can relate to uh, feeling alone. We've all had it. Who hasn't had it? Saboteur, you know, give me a break, inner critic. And so when you hear this, I really want you, those listening to find what you can relate to because there's something. Uh, yeah, I, I, when I was uh, in college, I met my husband and my former husband now, and we became best friends right away. I mean, it was like, he understood me. I understood him. We literally had formed a relationship very, very quickly on friendship. And how, then we ended. How, how old were you at this stage? I was uh, 19, 19, 18, 19, 18, 19, mm -hmm. 18 or 19. Yeah. And so I was in college. He was in college too at the University of Wisconsin Madison. And, uh, and we met on the bus, for goodness sakes, the Madison Metro bus, right? And we just, it was, I can't even explain it. It was like, he was my best friend. It's the best thing I can, that's the best thing I can say. We didn't have anything. And uh, in terms of money or anything like that, which made it very simple. And um, it was beautiful. And then we got married and we moved uh, a few times. We ended up moving out to the West coast because he wanted to, we were, I was supporting his career. Um, at that time I had been a teacher for a number of years. I loved being a teacher. I loved my students. 
I was co-chairing the art department in Wisconsin uh, with a dear friend and um, teaching art and just doing all of the things. I was a homemaker. And throughout our relationship, we had two more children. And then we moved to Southern California. And I was 40 years old at the time that this happened when I found out that uh, he had been betraying me for literally leading a double life, betraying me for 14 of 17 of our years of marriage. And it was devastating because here you are, your best friend, the person that you have given up literally so much for, right? You, uh, and yes, I have my children, which is amazing. And I love them so much. They are why I do everything that I do in this, in this world. Um, sometimes not so perfectly (laughs) and that's okay because I'm human too. And, you know, what it taught me was again, going back to what I learned at the age of 17, that relationship with self, it brought me back home to this whole experience with him. And this happened nine years ago. I'm now 49. This whole experience over this last nine years has made me a more resilient I'm going to just state it, beautiful, younger, healthier, loving, so much more loving, happier, joy-filled human being. Right. I'm going to interrupt you just once, one second there, just to say you radiate all of those qualities, Sarah. Thank you. I, I, I have the advantage here of seeing you on screen. And you absolutely radiate all of those qualities. It's beautiful to see. I was not this nine years ago, Jeff. I can guess. And and I know there's more to your story. That is the thing. That is the thing that I want people to understand through my story is that, you know, people look at me and they think, oh, she's this fit, you know, 49-year-old woman, beautiful, blonde-haired, green-eyed, whatever, like, I get it. I get it. People look at me and they see one thing. This is not who I was. Now, here's the thing though. I will say it was within me (laughs) and yet I needed to pull back all the layers and get to the heart of who I am and look at all of those areas in my life that needed healing, where I could grow, where I could learn more deeply about me where I could say, okay, you, Sarah, you got, you got like some stuff to look at. You got some serious patterns to deal with here. Right. And also admit responsibility for some things in my life. One of which was there were still parts of myself at 17 that I hadn't healed, that I hadn't stepped into. And so by looking at my storyline, which is even going back to that 10-year-old girl underneath the street lamp, right? And wondering what are other people doing? For me now, it's what are we doing? In other words, collectively, what am I doing? What are we doing? How can I do better? How can we do better? How can people walk with me on their journey to do better, to create better, to serve better? And that's the whole storyline through all of it, right? It was nine years ago, Thanksgiving. We're coming up on nine years. And I will tell you that it was the most devastating, most um, to, to find out that your husband had been betraying you. Now, what I didn't say is he actually came out as gay. So he was betraying me with men for 14 of these 17 years. And to have disclosure 
And then, well, discovery, they call it discovery when you find something out. And then disclosure is when you go through and you find all of the details out. And to have that happen to me over Thanksgiving, which is supposed to be the time when you're supposed to be so grateful, right? Now I'm actually very grateful. I'm not grateful that this happened. I'm grateful that I become so resilient and strong outside of it, right? That's the gratitude part. I wouldn't wish this on anyone, no one. Uh, but to have that happen was really, I mean, I, I look at the former version of me and I go, wow, girl, I am so sorry that you had to do that. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And I am so proud of how far that you have come. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but I understand there was drugs related also. There were drugs. There was dr- there were drugs involved. There was, uh, yes, and it was, I mean, even to find out I was, now understand I'm a mom at this point. Like I, I gave up my teaching career to, to, to support the family. And uh, I was coaching basketball, my son's basketball team. Uh, I found out that there were other people involved that I knew. Uh, there was this whole, like uh, this whole other thing, this whole other life that had been happening behind my back and, uh, alcoholism, drug addiction, like uh, all this stuff. And people ask me, well, how did you not know? Well, (laughs) you would be shocked at how many people actually do this. And, uh, they call it on the down low. Right. And, uh, and he was a successful entrepreneur, not entrepreneur at the time, but he was a successful businessman. And so everything was happening when it wasn't around me. It was happening when I wasn't there, uh, which again, you'd be shocked at how many people that this happens to. Now, understand something. I have gone through this process of forgiveness. That's what my TED talk is on. We have gotten to a space where I can sit there. I don't agree with anything that he did. I think that, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think it's, you know, I don't hold, I, how do I best explain this? Through the process of forgiveness, I don't uh, condone what happened. I don't think it was right. I don't agree with it. And I have set my pain down and said, it is a space of freedom and peace for me. I want to talk more about forgiveness because I know you focus on this quite a lot. It's not yes. it's not just a matter of saying I forgive you and it's all over, no. is it? So no. so let's talk a bit more about this Sarah. So what is forgiveness? What's the journey that we really need to go on? And why is it so important for us? So I look at forgiveness as a three-part process. There's three parts to it. There's self-forgiveness, there's forgiveness for others, and then there's forgiveness for the world. Why do I put it that way? Because so often we want to forgive other people before we actually want to take care of ourselves. And I had to go through my own process of forgiveness for me first before I could fully step into that process of forgiveness for him. When I found this out, it was Friday morning, the day after Thanksgiving, that I found that he actually then came to me. I, I, the, the day before Thanksgiving is when I knew something was going on. It wasn't until the day after Thanksgiving that he finally fessed up and confessed to what was happening. And 
the very first thing that I said to him was, I want a divorce and I will forgive you someday. And I knew the power of forgiveness because of what I had gone through already at 17. Okay. So I knew that there was, that it was possible, right? And that I could do it. Now, what I had to do was actually look at where in the parts of my life have I needed to really dive in and say, Sarah, what got you here? Right. What are the things that actually, what did you do wrong? What or not do at all? Like really process a lot of stuff through my, through what happened to me at 17. What got you to that point? What will you do differently? And forgive yourself. Like truly sit with girl, like it's okay. Forgive you, forgive all parts of you. And then when I went through that process, I could sit with looking at what happened between the two of us and do the same thing. Now, when I'm forgiving him, it's actually you're forgiving other people for yourself, right? You're going through that process to release that pain, that resentment, that anger, that rage, which by the way, I had a lot of. And if you're not going to process the emotions, you will never heal. And if you aren't going to heal, the trauma will stay in your body. And when the trauma stays in your body on a cellular level, you will break down. If you're not going to break down mentally or emotionally, it's going to be physically through cancer, through, you know, uh, autoimmune disease, through something. You cannot hold on to stuff like that and expect to live a true, authentic, vulnerable life. You just can't. So my story is my story. My husband's, my former husband's story is his story. And I don't talk about his story. I only talk about what I went through. Right. And I share the facts of what happened, but I don't, what his emotional side to it, that his, you know, mental side to it, that's all for him to share. Right. That's not mine. That said, processing my own self forgiveness was key. And then sitting with, I forgive you. I forgive you. And I want nothing but the best for you. So you need to take care of yourself and process what you have gone through and do what's best for you in order to become the man that you were intended to be, right? Everybody's journey is their journey. My journey is my journey. Why we came together, there's always reasons. And I know that for my reason, it was to become the woman that I am who is now helping others, serving in this way, sitting with you, right? Having this conversation and having other people be able to learn from the story, there's always reasons. It's a matter of us actually diving into finding what is the reason aligned with my own heart, mind, body, soul. You know, the the yeah, forgiveness yeah, for the yeah, world yeah, though. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm yeah. saying you got me, you got me going here, Jeff. The <laughs> forgiveness for the world is because this world needs so much more forgiveness. We have got to be able to put down the hate and start seeing one another as human beings. And so for me, I could sit here and hate on the police that sat in the room with me, right? Or me with them and pointed fingers and said, well, why didn't you do this? Why did you do that? All the questioning, right? Instead of holding my story and what happened to me and saying, how can we be there for you? Me going through that process of forgiving the police was a very big step in this and saying, okay, that's what happened then. Now, by me sharing my story, perhaps we can do better in this world. 
there's, there's something I want to backtrack on there. Something you said at the beginning of your conversation about forgiveness. You said forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. Mm-hmm. So the act of forgiveness, I think, based on what you've said, correct me if I'm wrong here, is if we fail to forgive, what we're doing is giving the other person all of our power. We're, we're, Amen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we're giving our power to the wrong thing. That's exactly it. We're giving our power to them and or to the experience. We want the active tra- the, the active overcoming trauma. Sorry, I totally just jumped in there. Through the act of triumph, we actually heal our trauma. A part of going through that act of triumph is also empowering ourselves through the experience. The only way to empower yourself is to allow yourself to work through that anger, to work through that pain, to work through those emotions that are toxic, by the way, in our body. They're needed. They're necessary. I'm not saying they're not necessary. They also give way to the peace and the freedom and the love and respect. Yeah. So forgiveness is about preventing other people from holding that power over you mm-hmm. and removing the shackles and taking that power back to give you freedom. That's what yes. freedom is. Yeah. Yes. That's what yes. forgiveness is. That's what that, forgiveness is. Uh, I, I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, go. Cool. Yeah, it's interesting to me how much that, and you can see, actually, I have a tattoo uh, on the outside of my left wrist, and it's the word forgive in my mom's handwriting in her script. And I got it when I was, I'm now 49, I got it when I was uh, 47. And, uh, And I asked her, I said, I want you to write this word. And I want to put it on the outside of my left wrist so that other people can question, what does that say? My mom's got amazing handwriting, but sometimes it's hard to read. And, uh, And I have a lot of people that ask me about it. What is that? And I said, it's the word forgive. And here's why it's important. And the, the important part though, that I do want to also stress is that everybody's story matters. It doesn't mean you got to get onto a podcast and like share it out with the world, right? That said, if you can look yourself in the mirror and have the conversation with you, that most important person in your life is you. And if you can look yourself in the mirror eye to eye and say, gosh, this happened and look at us, we're standing and I forgive you and I can work through that process. And now I can go and I can forgive that person who has wronged me. And if they want to take your forgiveness, great. If they don't, who cares? Because honestly, you have no say over other people. You cannot control how other people are going to act or react or respond to the things that you are providing in life. What you can do is continue to walk in your own values, your own intentions, your own uh, purpose, passion, whatever it is, right? And that's what I learned through all of this. I can't control how anybody else in my life is going to react or respond or act to what I am doing. I know that what I am doing is best by me. And that's what's important. Cool. 
That is really important. As He's, long as you're not hurt, don't hurt other people. Yeah, like, yeah, that's the yeah. Other, of, of course. Stop hurting other people. Yeah, of course. 100%. Absolutely. He's an interesting one. I'm not, I've not considered this before, but we ought to talk about it for sure. What happens if we don't forgive? Mm. So I have this conversation with my former therapist all the time. She's like, you know, he doesn't, there are some people in your life that don't deserve your forgiveness. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> Again, it's not about them. It's not about them. It's yes. about me. It's about me. It's about me. And it's not a selfish thing. It's a very selfless thing because the more that you show up for you, the better you can also show up for others. If I hadn't gone through this process, I had a moment in my recovery journey where I did think about taking my life and where would my children be if I had done that? Right. And so that's why it's also important to go through this process. Uh, I'm sorry. What was your question? I totally just went off. <laughs> well, you just started going in, into what I do want to talk about in a moment. So I'll come back to <laughs> That's that. That's hilarious. But, but my, my question was, what happens to us when we don't forgive? Oh, we hold on to all of the toxicity. Like literally, our there's a great book uh, by Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps the Score. And trauma, again, it sits in our cells on a cellular level when we have things happen to us. Now, again, trauma doesn't have to be something huge. It can be little things. It can be big things. It can be the person that hit your car, right? That's traumatic. It might trigger different things in your life. My trauma at 40 triggered a lot of trauma that I had unhealed trauma from my 17-year-old trauma, right? And so, Sorry, that's my clock ringing in the background, if you can hear it or not. It must be, well, it's six o'clock in England right now. I don't know. I don't even, it doesn't matter. I, it's, 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 it's a gift from my mom, and so I have a hard time stopping it. So uh, She wants, she uh, you, wants know, you to be she's here right on here. the interview. Yeah, she's, here, she's here with us. The, the thing that's interesting that I learned through my own recovery was that what we need to be doing is creating new alive moments in the present. And when we can create new alive moments in the present, we are actually detaching from the story of what happened and creating a new story today. And so through that process of forgiveness, you are giving yourself permission to do that because you are no longer holding on to the past. You are stepping into what is important to me today in this present moment. Now, there's, there's a photograph of you that I absolutely love and adore. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. What's coming? What's coming? <laughs> so we are friends on LinkedIn and I follow you. And this is how I found out about you and your story. So I know you you go up these mountains and you stand on the rocks and the scenery is amazing. And there's you with your backpack on and your hiking gear on and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. I get that. But then one appears, you're on the top of this mountain, you're wearing all this gear with a pair of red stilettos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is one amazing oh, photograph. So, Sarah, explain yourself. Yes. Well, so red is a very powerful color. It's also the power of love, right? And uh, when I was, how this came about is when I was coming out of my trauma, 
I had a lot of people questioning me. They were questioning my marriage. They were questioning if I knew, how did you not know? They were questioning. I mean, I even had somebody that said to me, oh, I thought you were in an arranged marriage. And I was like, what What? the heck? I know. I was like, what? You guys know me. Um, And so I decided, and I was, and then I, through my own decision to start guiding people, because I guide people in the Grand Canyon and in Alaska on these healing retreats. And so I went back to school. I got my coaching certification. I got my wilderness first responder certification in my forties. And here I am, this mom of three sons doing this work, right? And my femininity was questioned. There was a lot of stuff that was questioned through this journey, right? Like how can she be strong and yet you know, be a a feminine woman. Right. Mm. And so, and it bugged me. I was, it got, it got under my skin. And so I was running one day and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a pair of red shoes, just my red stilettos. And I'm going to go to the top of a mountain. I'm going to put those on along at that time. It was with my red dress and I'm going to take that picture and I'm just going to post it and see what people think. And so I did. Um, I don't have a problem facing things these days. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I did that on top of Mount Baldy and I posted this picture and I went crazy and people were like, oh my gosh, what is this about? And so I started sharing the story of it. And now I take my red stilettos everywhere. I've been on a trail for 22 days. I hiked the, the John Muir trail. That's where that picture came from. Um, I hiked the John Muir trail from Sequoia or from, sorry, the uh, Yosemite National Park to the summit of Mount Whitney. And I've taken, I carried those red heels throughout the entire journey on the back of my pack strapped right there and took pictures in some of the most epic places. I have taken them into the six pack of peaks here uh, in Southern California. Uh, I, I've taken them to uh, Half Dome in Yosemite National Park. I've taken them everywhere. I was on just this last summer, I love pushing myself out of my comfort zone. That's what adventuring has taught me and nature has taught me. And this last summer, there were uh, three of us that ended up section hiking, completing a section hike of the Sierra High Route, which is the most difficult and challenging route in the United States. And we passed, we actually, our very first pass was the most difficult and challenging pass on that route which by the way, is no trail, it's a route. So in other words, you're using waypoints through the mountains on your phone and with a map. And so you don't, there's no, you know, you're blazing your own trail. And so I was carrying them on that and I took some epic pictures through that journey and I will not stop taking pictures in those because for me, it's, it's this space of you can be you, all parts of you, embrace it. There is no box unless you create that damn box right? And that goes back to also being that creative, resourceful, beautiful, whole human being that you actually were born as when you were placed on this earth. Dive in, find what lights your fire and ignite that, right? And allow that to to really blaze. And so that's how that started. Now I actually even have, I sometimes put, uh, there's a dress that I bought for my TED talk. I did a TED talk in for, on forgiveness, like I said, in 2019. And I bought this beautiful dress, this beautiful Bosch gown. It's not even a dress. It's a gown. Like I love this thing. It reminds me of my mother and it's something she would have worn and they wouldn't let me wear it because they said it was too glittery. And so 
I thought, well, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to wear it, you know, around LA. Well, then 2020 hit. And I was like, well, this sucks. I don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so I took it into the mountains. I literally took it into the mountains. I was like, if that, if I can't find a stage because there is no stage right now, I'm going to go make the mountain, the summit, my stage. And so that's what I did. And so you will find me in that dress at times too. Um, and you'll find my clients in my dress and in those heels because, you know, there, it's a feeling of empowerment. It's that, it's just like, it makes you, it makes, it's a tool. It's just another tool to empower you. Well, I'm going to put one of those photographs with you on the mountain in your red shoes in the show notes on the website. Love that. So, Thank you. Yeah, it, it moved me, that photograph did. You know, I laughed out loud and I clapped <laughs> and I, I didn't know you at that stage. And I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> Does it surprise you now that you know me? Probably not. No. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. So, right, you said yourself, the person you are now is not the person you were nine years ago. Correct. So we said earlier in the introduction, there was a stage in your life where you could either lose your life mm -hmm. or find a new one. So it's wonderful to hear how strong you are now. But what was life like then? Um, being that low, how did you cope with it? And then crawl back out of the other side? Thank you for asking this question. Because I think that we, I just put something in my Instagram stories about this. And I think that one of the things that we have a hard time doing as humans is patting ourselves on the back and looking at ourselves and saying, I am so proud of me because for some reason we think it's an egotistical thing to do and it's not. You have to every once in a while look back and say, how far have I looked? Like really look at it and go, God, look at how far I've come. It's important to do that. It's not, a, again, it's not about the damn destination, right? It's about being able to be with who you are right now. And 2019 or 20, sorry, 2013, nine years ago, the woman that I was a very sad, extremely sad, extremely confused, lost, broken, brokenhearted to the core. I would go into the back corner of my closet and cry. I would weep and weep and weep to the point that there was nothing left. I couldn't eat. I would force myself some days to eat an apple a day. I drank a lot of honey and lemon water because that's all that I could muster. I would question everything and everyone that I ran into. Did they know? Who knew that didn't tell me? Why wouldn't somebody tell me if they knew? Who, who, who was I during all of this? Was any of my life true? Was my marriage true? Did he really love me? That was one of the big ones. Did he really love me? We would go out because, you know, understand that I, I was still, I was frozen at the same time that I was moving. Uh, my heart was so battered and bruised and brokenhearted that it's like, it's like somebody punched it 
to the the oblivion of h- how, why, why, and why me? Why me of all people when I had already gone through what I've gone through? Why me? Why would you pick me of all people and billions of people on this earth to hurt in this way? And what part did I play? I had to really sit with that. What part did I play? Um, And the reason I sat with that is because I wanted to really figure out so that this didn't happen again. And did it happen again? Yup, it did in another relationship. Uh, And that was when sometimes you need a few things to happen a few times over and over, patterns, in order for you to really get to the root of it to really get to the root of it. Now, when it happened in another relationship with somebody, I had to kind of chuckle because what I did was I looked back and went, wow, this is how bad it was in my marriage. That was how deep that the betrayal was. So I didn't do it in a blaming me way. It was in a, there was still more there to look at and look at how freaking far that I had to come to become the woman that, that I am today when I would, for that first year, when we were still together, not together quote, but we were still trying to, I was really working on helping him. I mean, I had found somewhere for for him to actually go to, to heal. And I was working on healing myself and we were trying to figure out how do we tell the kids and what does this look like? And because the devastation was so big, it was so massive that you had to pick up the pieces there were so many pieces that it was going to take a long time to pick up. And so as we were picking up those first few pieces, when I was out with him, I would start to question, was he with, does that person know? Was he with that person? I mean, anybody that's lived through relational betrayal trauma, you, you know, you, you question everything. You are so triggered that you question everything. Right. And I also, found nature to be my healing space. And so I would go out onto the ocean and I would paddle and I would look at whales and dolphins and I would sit in my awe and wonder for a moment and feel normal and feel peace and realize that there's something so much larger out in this world than just my pain. And I had a few instances where I would look in the eyes of whales and I could just sit with that whale, right? Like, I know this sounds really crazy, Jeff, but I would sit with the whale and I would look into the eye of the whale and it was like I was going back to those God wink moments that I'd had so many times in my life where I was like, I am so much better than this. And I knew it, but I had to rebuild myself in order to fully step into that woman that I am today. And does that make sense? Uh, I mean, I know it sounds kind of crazy. No, not not crazy at all. I, I want to know more about the whales and dolphins, but I don't want to interrupt you. No, it's it's uh I think that the most important thing, I, I love the fact that you asked this question because people, you know, people when we're when we're suffering, when we're suffering, we're suffering, but you can't put words to the damn suffering. And you just want somebody to sit with you and say, understand my suffering, right? And hopefully this, and and there's so much grief, 
right? And now that I've lost my mom, I can also look back and say, man, I grieved my marriage. I grieved the loss of the woman that I was. That moment that I found out, the moment that he walked through that door and I realized something was going on in our marriage, I was no longer the woman that I was the moment prior to. And I didn't even understand that. It's kind of like when somebody calls you and says, your mom passed away. You're no longer the same daughter. You're, it's this whole other person that you were, right? It doesn't lessen the importance of who you were or anything like that, but it's a, it's a transformational moment. It transcends you into the space of, okay, now who am I? And that's what that, that's what that happened. That's what happened. That's through those whole five days of me having this discovery and this disclosure, you know, I would, I would lie in my tub and just bawl my eyes out. I would go down to the beach and just sit and watch the waves and put my hand, my feet into the sand and look out and go, oh my God, who am, like no one knows. No one knew what was happening except that people knew what had been happening. And so then you're also battling that betrayal. So it's not only the betrayal of your, for me, the spouse, it was the betrayal of my community, those people that knew but didn't tell me. And so I was also having to battle all of that, right? And the suffering is deep. I had a moment where I just thought, okay, if I just take my car and smash into the side of this guardrail, all of this will go away. And how beautiful would that be? Because I can't stand it anymore. And yet then I sat with, I've got these incredible children and my life is not going to get lost in all of this. It can't unless I allow it to because they also need me. Right. And there's that through that sitting when I was on the ocean, through those mountain climbs that I did, through being in nature, through looking out into the valleys below, through being able to watch this butterfly that literally sat in my hand and played literally like it flew into my hand. I asked for a sign from above. I was like, you know, to my, those people that had passed in my life that I had connections with my grandparents who I just loved so much. I said, just give me a sign that I'm going to be okay here. Just give me something because I need some sort of hope to hold on to. And a butterfly landed in my hand and I just watched it play. I finally had to say, you got to go, my friend, because I got to go pick up my son. (laughs) You know, it was in those moments of awe and wonder that I found those moments, that that resilience, that depth of who I was. And here's the thing that I also want to say is that, you know, we hold on to all of the things that we could have done, should have done, wish we would have done differently. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? <clears throat> you were doing the best that you could at that moment. And allowing myself to sit with that has been huge. So were there signs along the way that this was happening? Yes, there were. And I questioned those signs. I didn't do anything wrong by questioning them. What I realized though, in listening to his story over mine. So when I would question, he would say, oh, of course I'm not doing that. Of course, I'm, of course, no, the gaslighting, the manipulation, all that crap, right? What I realized was how in touch that I actually am as a woman how my intuition is actually spot on and how I can listen to me and I can follow those breadcrumbs of what's being given in my life and really have more awareness for my 
own inner wisdom that I had set aside along the way. That's very powerful. Well, that's the long answer to your question. <laughs> uh, yeah, beautiful answer, though. So I want to know about the whales and dolphins. Yes, the whales they, and the dolphins. Yeah, I, I, I was fortunate because they, they don't swim around England. And uh, my wife and I went on vacation earlier this year and we went to Madeira, which is just mm. off the Canary Islands, west coast of Africa. And the, a guy had a boat and he said, uh, you want to see some whales and dolphins? And it's my wife. It's like, oh, that she really wants that. And I said, OK, what's the likelihood? It's pretty high. So we, we, we went out on this boat and we saw a couple of um, pods of dolphins. Must have been 50 or 60. And they're jumping and twirling and magnificent. But this is on, on a pretty large boat, so we're probably 20 feet above them. But you didn't do it that way, did you? You went out on a paddleboard. Paddleboard. Like, yeah, <laughs> a paddleboard. So. I was on a paddleboard. Yeah, only four miles out, mm. so not too far, right? <laughs> no, not too far. I still go out there. <laughs> yeah. So. What's it like to be so connected and so close and to look into the eyes of a whale? I just can't imagine that. It is the most peaceful, uh, beautiful moment to be able to look at a creature and say, I see you and I get it. I believe that there, everything in life has connection and reason. I believe that uh, when we are out in nature, there are certain, certain things happening. If it's animals crossing our path, you know, I, I'll share a story with you in just a moment about what happened when I was in the Grand Canyon last. There are reasons it's the, 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 thing that happens is that we as humans have an ego and we like to play in our head more than we do our heart. And when we can look at God's creatures, universe creatures, whatever you want to call it, spiritual creatures as connection instead of out of fear, we realize that we are all one. So was I afraid? No. Was I afraid when I was on the side of that mountain pass, uh, you know, this last, you know, when I was out on the Sierra high route? No, I wasn't. I realized that it was dangerous, but I didn't feel endangered. And the reason why that is, is because the more that you step outside of your comfort zone and you have experiences like this, that are those alive experiences, you can sit in the moment, the peace, the wonder. And instead of that fear that unfortunately for so many takes over, it is, it's just beautiful. I don't know what else to say to you. It's, it's just absolutely beautiful to be able to sit and watch a whale literally roll in front of you. And you're sitting there having this human to animal, beautiful connection that you know that they're there to literally present you with you know, awe and wonder. That's what they're there to do. 
it's healing. I mean, that's the most, uh, the, the best way that I can explain it to you is that it's, it's healing. It's healing for me. I don't know what it's doing for this creature, but I hope it's doing something. It's probably, you know, doing something. I would think it's doing something for me. It's doing something for them. Right. Um, but you know, I've, I've been lost in fog on the ocean. I was out there four miles once and, and I was paddling out and, uh, it's funny how many times that whales have actually been in front of me and I'm screaming at them, get out of my way. Like I'm, I'm out here like on a mission, right? Like I'm healing. And I'm literally like, I've screamed at whales before. Get out of my way. Oh my gosh. Right. And, um, and then I just laugh and I'm like, Sarah, listen to yourself for goodness sakes. Uh, but I have been out there four miles offshore and all of a sudden the fog has rolled in and I've gone, okay, this is, this is, this is a little dangerous. <laughs> what am I doing out here right now? Uh, and then it really becomes connecting with everything in terms of nature, in terms of the wind, the breeze, the, the current, the swells, the waves, and redirecting yourself back into where you need to be. And that's all our true north is. And so being able to turn my board and just say, okay, you've got this, you got out here, you can go back, you know what you're doing. That's personal leadership. That's resilience. Uh, and that's connection, right? And um, on that particular occasion, I literally even had a conversation with mother nature. And I said, if you could send me some dolphins to guide me in, that would be wonderful. And they showed up whole pot of them. And they took me right into the harbor and where I started. And I pulled my board out that day and I thought, wow, girl, you got this. Like you, you do know your true North, you know how to get home, you know, to come back, you know how to come back to who you are. That's amazing. amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. Okay. So you first began speaking your truth and you decided to do it on stage. Yeah. So, <laughs> not like I mean, <laughs> why not? <laughs> so not like a cup of tea with your buddy. So, I mean, why not? <laughs> okay, okay. Part of the healing process, right? So let's go through this. Then you first began speaking publicly about your truth. I think 2015, right? Yeah. So my first. My first, I, it was through Facebook posts. And then I decided to, when the Me Too movement popped up, I decided to write a blog post about that. And I literally pressed publish, closed my computer, went and climbed a mountain and thought, well, I don't know what the world is thinking about this right now. And I don't really care because I'm just going to go and just take care of me. And then when I got off that mountain and I opened up my computer and read all of the comments and saw how many people that this affected in a positive way, I went, oh, okay, I can keep doing this. Okay, so then it's time to get up on stage and talk about it, which is no yeah. mean feat. I know what it's like <laughs> to get up on stage. It's not easy, but to get up on stage and talk about what's happened in your life. Let me take you to the first time you did it. How were you feeling standing in the wings before you went on stage? What was it like during your speech and then what happened afterwards? So that would be my TED Talk, okay. actually. That was my first one. You, the first, and... so <laughs> you do a you being screened to the world, and it's Isn't the first time. Oh, man. Because <laughs> if I'm going to do something, I'm just, 
I'm just going to go all out. It's kind of like I, I tell people this all the time. It's I, there's no in between. It's just, if you're going to do it, do it bigger, go home, you know? <laughs> so that was my first talk was my death talk in front of thousands of people. Um, yeah. And, uh, I wrote the speech. It was 10 minutes long. I wrote it. I memorized it. Anybody that's experienced trauma brain, it's very hard to memorize stuff. I'm not very good at memorizing things. Uh, so I would, I took my talk out into the ocean and I would just literally paddle and say it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to the point that it was so in me that I knew what I was doing. And then I got up there. I had actually asked my ex-husband at that point, he was my ex-husband and my kids, if they, and everybody, I was like, do you guys want to read this first before I go on stage? Because <laughs> kind of big. Yeah. Um, and nobody wanted to. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll just get up there and do it then. It's my story can't stop from me from telling my story. Uh, that said, I've always been conscientious about the fact that my kids are, it's just my children, right? Like I'm always conscientious about my children in this. And, uh, and before I got on stage, I'll never forget it. Before I got on stage, I sat and I looked out and I looked up and I thought, okay. And all I sat with was let the light shine through you. If you let the light shine through you, you can do no wrong. If you're doing everything in this world from a place of love and service, you can do no wrong, right? And so getting up there and standing on that big red dot, that big red circle carpet and sharing my truth was one of the most empowering and powerful things to have ever done. Um, I remember looking out. And seeing this man in the front, one of the front rows crying. And I thought, gosh, this is what it is to make impact. And I remember looking out, <clears throat> excuse me, and seeing all the people who's, who my words were affecting and impacting. And my story was having, uh, you know, meaning in their own life. And I thought, wow, this is what it is. This is pretty damn cool. <laughs> this, is pretty, this is a release. This is like... It uh, as as uh, Mother Tree, I think it was Mother Tree, so that she would say, uh, I think it was her, um, like giving back something about uh, do all small. I have do small things with great love, but then there was always this this other um, quote that I went by, which was like when you when you are giving back, uh, it's like full circle, right? It it helps you and heals you too, sure. and so. It was awesome. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. That's why I do what I do today. Cause I've been on national TV. I've been on uh, the doctors. I've been on local TV networks. I've, you know, wrote about it in my book. It's now published and has helped so many people. And uh, we're working on a documentary right now. And I just think that it's the coolest thing to like, to me, that's what success is to me. The secret to success is being able to really work through your life and be able to take that last breath, like I said, when you're here and say, I did it, I did it. And I've left this world a better place because of it. Beautiful. Okay, let's talk about your book. Walk through yes. this. Now, these seem dumb questions, <laughs> but I'm going to ask them so you can position it in any way you want. So, Go for it. who is it for? What does it strive to achieve? And why did you write it? It's for everyone. Uh, it's for every version of you. Every version. It's for that 17-year-old girl. It's for that 20-year-old man. 
It's for that, you know, every version. Uh, what was the next question? What does it strive to achieve? And it why strives- Why did you <clears throat> write it? My, it strives to uh, achieve others to be able to see a little bit of themselves in the story of which I'm sharing, but then also to become that human that, and to let go of all of the things that they have been holding on to and to become that person that, uh, that they, that they want to become right. That they were actually placed on this earth to become, I think we are always unbecoming to become. And, uh, I wrote about that actually in the book. And I think that that's what, um, that's the reason I wrote this book is to create a better world for goodness sakes. Like, you know, that's what I really hope for it to do is to create a better world. How long did it take you to write the book? Not long, because it took forever in my life to create the story. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I'm actually pretty damn funny. I have to say, like, I actually, last night my kids said to me, my kids screamed at me behind, we live in a small space and I sold my home and 95% of my stuff moved into something small just so I could like refocus. And my son yells from behind the door, mom, where are my slides? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't take them off your feet. Like, really? Like, I didn't take them off your feet. Tell you, you know where they are. Um, humor is, is a very important tool. Indeed it is. I, so how long did it take yeah. you to, once you'd formed your life, how long, how did, long it did it take, take to, write? to write the book? Well, I started it in January of 2020 and then 2020 hit. And so it took me until with edits until about July of that year, June, June of that year. So it, you know, really I dove into it. Isn't that funny? It start. I actually started, I, I, I barely got the outline in December of 2019, which is when the fires were going through Australia and then, which we completely forgot. Like we tend to forget about the koalas that were suffering. And then all of a sudden January of 2020 hits and there's talk of all this stuff. Right. And so I wrote it eh, really dove into it. I would say probably March until June. Um, so it's not that long. Okay. Do you think you were a, a different person at the end of the book to when you began writing it? Hmm. Yes. Yes, Absolutely there are words that I look back on that I wrote and I think, wow, that came from me. I don't even remember writing that, you know, because I was in such, well, the world was in such a state back then too, right? Like so much stuff was happening and my house was, I had my kids staying here. I had other people staying here. My niece was living with us. I adopted a dog and a cat somehow through COVID that just showed up. And so, you know, there were all sorts of things happening. Uh, I definitely was a different person after writing the book versus the person who started. What's even more cool is the person that I've become outside of releasing the book into the world and allowing myself to really set myself free. So there's one thing, right? There's writing the book. And then all of a sudden, you're, I got to actually audio record my book, which is super cool going through that process over those three days and then publishing the book and then going in and seeing it on bookshelves. And, and then now for me, it's like, okay, that chapter is amazing. What's my next one? And what's my next book, which I'm now honing in on. 
Okay, what's this one called? What's it about? Oh, it's I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's an odd title. I will say that <laughs> I will say that it's um it's definitely more of a celebratory book, right? And how to um really step into those spaces in your life. It's uh my my first book's pretty deep. Like it's the story, it's got the story of my life and then it's got the science behind um, nature healing. And, uh, and so there's a little bit of science and trauma, right? And then it's the seven steps to forgiveness. And how do we go through that? And then the very end of it is how do I know if I've stepped into forgiveness? This next book is going to be a little different and I'm excited about it. Different in what way? Uh, you know, I think that I'm a different woman right? I'm a different writer. I'm a different woman. I'm a different, uh, speaker. Uh, you know, I've, I think one of the most cool things that you can do is detach more from your story in a way that you are attaching more into the, I want to say the empowerment from your story. And so, uh, writing about my story back then was hard. Um, and sharing that was hard and then releasing it. I remember crying in the parking lot of target going, how is this going to affect everybody? Uh, I gave everybody the manuscript. Nobody wanted, my mom read it. My dad read it. They were very proud of me, but nobody else wanted to read it. And so, um, and I offered. And so, you know, then releasing it and putting it out into the world is, is a whole nother thing. Right. Uh, and so this is just a different kind of book in that it's the, it's the, who am I today instead of the, this is who I was then. Yeah, there's some transcendence here, which I've traveled through myself. And having completed and published seven books now, I'm yeah. a completely, completely different person to where I began. And when you write a book, that's one thing. Releasing it takes a tremendous amount of courage because oh. it's, it's like letting your baby go to the world because mm -hmm. the person you are at the end of the book is a completely different person you are at the beginning, especially your first book, because you yeah. could go back and edit and edit and edit, because as a writer, you become a better writer the more you do. So by the time you mm -hmm. get to the end, you think, oh, the front end's a bit crappy, I can redo that. So you could end up in this loop, and you have to put a stake in the ground and let your baby go to the world. Then people contact you, about your book and what it's about. And what I'm witnessing in you now, Sarah, is this magnificent transcendence in that the beginning of the journey was about you. Now yes. it's about the world and what you're giving. You must know my speech. I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm just the witness here. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, it's interesting is that, uh, you know, that goes back to that 10 year old standing underneath the street lamp. My first thought was, uh, you know, what's happening out there. And now for me, it's what's happening with us. It's not a me. It's not a separation of me and them. It's not my story and their story. It's what is our story. How are we becoming better humans as a result of sharing of our vulnerability and our authenticity? And through a lot of courage, admittedly. I love it. 
I want to stay close and find out about this next book. I would be more than happy to. So, I would love that. So we'll have to get you back on the show when it's done to I find out that. more about the journey, who you are, who you're becoming. Okay, so right now then, what excites you? What invigorates you? Life, living. Literally, like I just, what invigorates me? Just living. I mean, I um, relationships invigorate me in terms of uh, like this, like meeting new people. Uh, nature, obviously climbing mountains invigorates me. I was out on one last yesterday and it was just awesome to, to just like take off for the morning and just go climb a mountain and just play in the rain. Uh, play, just playing in life, playing in life. That's as 40 to be 49. As I said to my brother this morning, oh my gosh, I'm actually having him on my podcast tomorrow, him and Michelle Mace, uh, both pilots. Um, and, uh, my brother and I were chatting about it earlier and I said, he goes, you know, what's really cool. He's 50. I'm 49. My other brother's 51. And he said, you know, it's really cool. And I go, what's that? And he goes to be 50 years old and just speak your truth. And you don't really give a flying F about anything. And he said, people can think what they want. He goes, people can think what they want. They can say what they want. They can do what they want, but it doesn't matter because you know who you are. And I was like, Marty, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. It's just so fun to be free. I wonder how many people reach that stage in their lives. I'm there and it's so liberating. It's wonderful. People think I'm an intolerant old git. Okay, yes, I am. Well, but it's about, I mean, yeah, it, that's what it's about. You know what's fascinating to me, though, Jeff, is that here's the other thing that he and I talked about. I don't do things like everybody else does. He doesn't do things like everybody else does. And so what we were talking about is, you can tell that my family and I are pretty close, that we have these kind of conversations. Yeah. Uh, what we were talking about was when you're doing things differently than everyone else, you're doing it right. If you're doing everything and playing in the same lane as the world, that's when you have to be a little bit concerned because you got to get off trail. You got to blaze your own truly in whatever way that is in order to really dive into who you are and what excites you. Now, Otherwise we get stuck in this lane and it's like, yeah. okay, you're just doing, you're just doing what the world or society is like telling you're expecting of you. I've never played that way. I've never played that way. Never. And I think what excites me so freaking much right now is having the goal of in three years when my kids get out of high school and college, I just want to put my stuff into, into storage and I just want to travel the world and speak and meet people. That's it. I want to sit in the villages in Africa and, uh, and sit with the women that are weaving things and play soccer with the kids. And I just, that's what I want to do. And I, that's why I'm now transitioning my business more into speaking and out of uh, some of the stuff that I have been doing. I've done that. It's so life-changing and liberating. It is incredible, totally incredible. However, so here's a question that I ask all of the guests. It's quite deep, or it can be. <laughs> It can be. It might, it might not. It. It, it, it might not be. Sarah, what's the most important thing you've ever learned in your life? 
that we are so much more connected than what we even realize. Yes, I'm with that. I love that. I can just, I share can I share a really, really quick story? Yeah, quick story? go for it. Go for it. Um so my mom passed away July sixth. Found out in the middle of the night through a phone call from my brother. And uh July seventh, I had to leave to go to the Grand Canyon to guide a healing retreat with uh my clients. And I ran three retreats this last July. It was one of the most difficult months of my life and one of the most empowering months and healing months of my life. The Grand, the Grand Canyon, the San Juan Mountains, and uh, Alaska. And when I was hiking into the Grand Canyon, we were almost to the bottom. And I, now this is July 8th. So my mom had just passed two days prior. And I looked up into the sky and I said, Mom, give me a sign that you're okay. Just tell me that you're all right. And tell me that you're, uh, that what I'm doing by still doing this work and not flying home right away, that it's okay, that I'm where I'm supposed to be. And we got to the bottom and we were all, my group and I, literally 10 minutes later at the Colorado River, and we looked up and this beautiful rainbow formed around the sun. And the clouds parted into a perfect heart right in the middle. And I had this realization that nobody ever really leaves us unless we don't want them in our life, right? Unless we just completely disconnect from them. And we are so much more deeply connected from above, from beyond, from, you know, where you are, where I am, uh, than what we even realize. And we have impact. I mean, think of how many people are going to listen to this, right? And be impacted from it. And then how many people that they're going to hopefully share it with and have impact. And those people are going to share and have impact. We don't understand the ripples, the, the, uh, the, the magnitude of them until, uh, we have moments like that happen. Incredible. Lovely. So Sarah, if someone wants to reach out to you and contact you, they want to buy your book, come on a retreat with you. Mm-hmm. How do they reach you? You can find me in my website, sarahschultingkranz.com. It's a long name, so I'm assuming it'll be in the show notes. You can find me on LinkedIn, Sarah Schultingkranz, on Instagram, Sarah Schultingkranz, Facebook. Uh, more, I'm more on my business Facebook because I'm having problems with my personal one. I don't know what's going on. Live Boldly with Sarah Schultingkranz. Um, I also have a podcast, Live Boldly with Sarah Schultingkranz. You can find me there. Email me, Sarah at SarahSchultonKranz.com and let's have a conversation. Wonderful. Do you want to leave a message? Because this is the end now. My message to all of you would be when someone reaches their hand out, don't deny that. Walk with them and then be that person that extends your hand to others and let's do it together. I love that. That's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Thank you. That's it for today, Sarah Schultz-Krenz. You're going to come back on the show, right? Oh, absolutely, I will. 100%. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So you come back to me when we have more information on this book, when you're willing to share. But, yes. for, but for today... I mean, before today, you already impacted my life when I saw your picture in those red stilettos. I've listened to your TED Talk. It moved me deeply, and I feel so privileged that you agreed to come on the show with me today. I think you you are amazing. Sarah Schultz-Kranz. Thank you, Joe. 
I've just loved it. Well, thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I hope the show has helped to ignite your passion, to be a catalyst for action, and giving you the fuel you need to realize your dreams. If you've enjoyed the show, please hit the like button, leave a review, and share. You know, this is the kind of show, especially with Sarah, that could make a huge difference to someone's life. So please share the show, even if it's just with one person. It really makes a huge difference. And without your help, we can't succeed. So please go ahead, like, review, and most of all, share it with someone you love. On another note, I'm always searching for great success stories. So if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or you'd like to nominate a guest, please contact me through our website at jeff-smith.com. You know, I really, really would love to hear from you and welcome you onto the show. Thank you again to Sarah Schulting-Kranz. You have been amazing. That's Thank you. All, that's all from me today. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.